When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. All of the individuals involved uh, contributed in a big way. You start with, with Kenta and, and the way that he threw the ball, um, but you look at the lineup from top to bottom. Uh, it was an explosive night. The at-bats were uh, you know, unrelenting, and, and that's what we're looking for. You know, they, it wasn't about just a couple of big swings that got us where we needed to be. It was, it was a team effort. The Bomba squad made its return last night. 12-2 dominating victory over the Brewers. We will break a Twins, down, Twins game down like it is a football game, and also Judd Zolgad will apologize for something early in the show. And uh, Doogie will join from some scoops, but a quick thank you to Federated Mutual Insurance Company, Federated, standing behind business owners in the state of Minnesota for over 100 years. And there's uh, all kinds of trusted resources on their website and a list of industries that Federated protects. So you can go and you can snoop around at your leisure and you can make sure that you have the frontline protection that Federated provides and make sure you have that peace of mind as a business owner in maybe the most tumultuous year ever as a business owner. You just want Federated. Federated is also a proud supporter of some of our local sports teams, Timberwolves. Uh, they support Gophers Athletics, Minnesota United, FederatedInsurance.com. And remember, at Federated, it's our business to protect yours. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. These two guys have Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Judd on Score North and scorenorth.com. Byron Buxton at the plate looks completely lost again. If he's just slumping and I know what he's going to do once he gets past a certain threshold of at-bats, I'm fine. What I'm seeing is a guy who looks lost again, and that concerns me. It's completely lost at the plate. And there's a there's a happy medium somewhere here. In other words, Byron, I don't need you to have this great approach where you're going to hit home runs. I just need you to simply make contact and put the ball on the ground. Leap to left field and another home run. Buxton goes deep, his fourth of the year. Two more hits tonight, in part because he doesn't watch video. (laughs) Deep to left center field. What a great at bat for Buxton. He's got another home run. That ball was smoked. Those are great signs. It's not like he's just simply able to do uh, one thing right now. He's he's, uh, able to take advantage of of different counts and and what different pitchers are doing and attacking different pitches and hitting them on the barrel. I mean, he's been uh, been hot, but he was swinging the bat good even before um, we saw the the homers and and the hits falling. He's put good swings on the ball throughout. So I think we're just seeing the uh, the product now. All right, Judd, the floor is yours. The floor is yours. Can I ask you guys a question? Uh, No, you can can apologize. Am I the new James Rousen? Like, I just heard myself there, 
And I blow myself away with my analysis that takes a young, struggling player as talented as Byron Buxton and elevates his game to a point where he is an MVP-looking candidate, dominant, dominant at the plate. I mean, my God, the breakdown. Who wouldn't want me? The Twins? MLB Network? That's one way to look at it. Oh, my God. You're yourself that. That's one. Another way to look at it is you prematurely lost your mind, thought Byron Buxton <laughs> no. should be demoted to a minor league that no. doesn't exist in 2020. Never said that. And that his career was coming to an end. Look, the reality is this. I am the parent that sees greatness mm. and can't accept the fact when I don't see that greatness, that potential fulfilled. And this kid, through seven games, was not fulfilling the opportunity for greatness. And in the seven, last eight, seven, hold on, seven games. And well, wait, 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 wait. Sample size here. So, so now, so now I have to come back and caution about over expectations because now we're only eight more games in. The sample sizes are too small. But what wait, I wait, 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 now, wait. The sample sizes are too small. According now, to you, according to you, the now. Point, according to you, seven games was not enough to panic, and eight games then is not enough to praise. <laughs> so what I need to do, see, this is where sports dad, and I mean, this is for everybody, including Byron, a great kid, by the way. I love that kid. But this is where sports dad comes back and has to has to caution, has to caution. But really, you guys, that was incredible. Okay. What, Seven games in, I, I was very concerned. I was doubting. But what I said is what he applied. He must listen to the podcast. I'm going to guess that he probably does. I'm, I'm sure he's a regular. I'm sure he's going to be on Write That Down in a couple who does of weeks. Here. Write this down. He's Miguel Sano. Uh, no, he does not. Although Miguel, Miguel Sano. Oh, a long oh, blast yeah. to left field. I have no idea where that landed. <laughs> a towering home run to left field. He's been trying to do that for a while. This one he got By into. By the way, Jack Morris stepped on all three of those home run calls here. Just you know real what? Quick. Okay, Jack, Jack is done, okay? Listen to these. That was it for Jack. That's his last series. That was his last season? series. He's going back back to do his, I guess he does the majority or a bunch of Tiger games on TV in Detroit. So he's gone now. Oh, so maybe he'll do the It's Roy Smalley this weekend. Maybe he'll have to choose between Tigers and Twins when they play each other in the first round of the playoffs, which if the playoffs started today, those teams would play each oh, other. Oh, so great. Garden hires And Tigers. by the way, if they do right now, I'm picking the Tigers. Oh, come on. Yeah, but it's Gar- just goofy, it's Gardy, it's just goofy it's enough. Gardy's going to make those guys nervous. I know, but they only I love need to Gardy, win. but he's but got a nervous energy. Two games. They only need to win two games. It's so, goofy. Here's Jack Morris stepping on these calls. A long blast. Leap to left field and another home run. <laughs> I deep really? to left center field. <laughs> Yeah, Jack, come on, nah, come on! Would Let you guys back breathe, off? Of, of Jack Morris, he's just trying to—he's just trying to be excited about the Twins' home runs last night and that prolific offensive performance in which they did score runs outside of the first three innings. Barely, right? Didn't they? Didn't they only score? Hold on a second. I've got it. Right this here. is not a day for criticizing, though. This is a day for celebrating. Say, are you really, really going to come back? And they—they—they they, they scored one run after the fifth, but they scored they enough scored early in the, the game. Fifth. They okay. scored four in the fifth. All right, fair enough. I'm one, not going to one in the them. fourth. One in the sixth. Come on. But but back to the Buxton discussion here. So uh, where we agree is seven games was way, way, way too small of a sample size for Judd to panic. Fifteen games is way too small of a sample size for me to sit here and gloat and say that, that everything is fine. Yep. So, But what about a 102-game sample size going back to the beginning of last year? That's more of a sample. And he's, and he's 26 years old now. If you take Byron Buxton since the beginning of last season and he missed half of it, so it's you know instead of 162 games plus the the first 15 this year, you're only dealing with 102 games. 
But since the beginning of last year, Byron Buxton in 344 plate appearances is batting 267, which we would all take mm-hmm. in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. His on-base percentage is 313. Certainly not an on-base machine like Joe Maurer in his prime, but anything over 300 when you have the defensive skill sets that he has and, and the power that he can present, uh, I will take. And a slugging percentage of 531. So his number is over a 102-game stretch going back to the beginning of last year. Mm-hmm. 15 homers, 56 ribs, 15 stolen bases, yeah. 31 doubles. He's getting on base at a 313 clip, and he's slugging out of his mind. And uh, if you extrapolate those numbers to 162, he would be a 25-home run, 90-RBI, 90 90-run 90 scored guy who bats about 270. Difference maker. Right? Yes. Which, and which, by the way, you would, defense. Which, by the way, you would take in a heartbeat. You would absolutely take If, if you brought that, and I, I believe I said this in my panic, Last week, if you brought that average down to 250, you'd take it. You'd take it. Can we can we talk about when it comes to Byron? I want to have a, 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 a in-depth um, baseball as football discussion here about analysis of his approach, okay? Because I feel like there's pendulum that swings both ways, and it goes too wild in this sense. All right. So there's the crowd that says, well... He should never hit home runs, and he should just try and hit the ball on the ground. Because, And by the way, that's fine, too, because he is a nightmare when he hits the ball on the ground. And he had, I think he had two infield singles two yes. nights ago. Yes. Then there's the crowd that says, ah, oh, shut up to you guys who say his speed. Just do, do what you can do, blah, blah, blah. Okay. So here's the analysis that I have when it comes to Buxton's approach at the plate. It really isn't truly about the approach of where he's going to hit the ball, how far, how not far. The analysis that I think that we, the conclusion that we can all draw about Byron Buxton's approach at the plate is very simple. And for some folks, this works. The less he thinks, and and they talked about it on the telecast last night, he actually feels, and he might be right, he does himself a disservice by watching too much film. The real, the real thing that we should talk about is this is clearly a guy who when who the more he gets in his own head, the worse he gets. I mean, some guys love to break it down and some guys don't. And Byron Buxton, Phil, clearly does not, which is absolutely fine. But I think that's far more the conversation. I think the conversation is not about the approach of where he hits the ball. It's the steps that he takes going into his at-bats because I don't think we have ever seen Byron Buxton um, succeed a lot where we know, you know what he's been doing all day long, thinking about this game. Yeah, uh, I agree. I Now, in general, I think the people who tell him to just hit the ball on the ground, Willie Mays Hayes from Major League, give me 50 push-ups every time you hit a ball in the air. Right? I, I, I think he has so much to present from a power perspective, as we've seen with five home runs in 15 games and two home runs yesterday. You shouldn't strategically look to take away his power if you're a hitting coach or a manager. So I, I will draw a line there. But if we're going to make a checklist of, all right, Byron, here, here are the keys for you. Watching film might not be on that checklist. It might not be. It, it, now, watching film, if you are if you are Joe Maurer, Joe Maurer loved to watch film and study pitchers, and it worked well, and there's all kinds of other hitters. But yes. Buxton is Buxton feels he he's such a reactionary player, and he's reactionary in the outfield. Um, I think the checklist should be three things. Number one, feel good physically. Just stay healthy, feel good physically. Just make sure that you're 
not running into walls. Make sure that your ankle doesn't hurt or something. Like if, so step one, take care of your body. Feel good physically. Step two, clear head. Yes. Put on some music before the game, whatever. Just have a clear head going into the game. Don't be overthinking about your mechanics. You know, think about in the six years he's been in the major leagues now, or, or five years and change, all the talk about his batting stance and his leg kick yeah. and his mechanics. <laughs> and Tori and told him to do this, and, but his dad told him to do that. Yep. Exactly. Listen, man, however you feel comfortable standing in the plate, I don't care what. I don't care if you have your bat down like Chuck Knobloch used to have or... If you want to stand there like Eric Davis, basically facing the pitcher, like what, literally whatever makes you feel comfortable in that box. So feel good physically, feel comfortable and clear-headed in the box. And then the third checklist item for me at this point is look for pitches you can pull. Because two great things happen when he pulls pitches. One, he hits home runs. Like every home run he hits is to center field or left field, it's, it feels like. And two, as you saw a couple times in the second game of the series, um, or wait, was this? Why am I spacing? Was this, this was the third. Was the, so it, was the, it was the second of a three-game series yes. where he had two infield singles. Yes, and those are ground balls to the left side, the third base. He hit there, his first infield single of that game two nights ago was just a a straight ground ball. It wasn't like a dribbler that he beat out. It was a straight ground ball to the third baseman, backhanded side, mm-hmm. and the third baseman played a little bit of patty cake, and it was just enough for Buckton to have an infield single. So feel good physically, have a clear head. Don't overthink things. Don't overthink your mechanics and look to pull pitches, period. He's not going to hit 300 doing that, but he's going to hit 250 okay. with power. But that's and okay. Yep, 100%. That's exactly. So the last eight games on this trip 12 for 29, 414 OBP, 966 slugging, did strike out eight times, but five home runs and he drove in eight runs. And this goes back to the conversation. And this is true of Buxton, and this is probably true of, I don't know, take your pick, five players in all of baseball. But this guy can be, when he is when he is going to hit, let's say he's going to hit 265 or something, okay? He is a guy who makes a difference in every element of the game. Five tools. He makes a difference in everything. Like, as if Miguel Sano is going the best that he possibly can, okay? So let's just say he's locked in, he's pulling the ball, he is hitting home runs. He's going to make a difference there, but he's not going to make a difference in every portion of the game that he plays, right? Mm-hmm. Byron Buxton can. That's that's why waiting for the payoff, the potential payoff of this guy is so important. Would you look, so they have moved him up in this series, they moved him up from 9 to 8. I think he started in the 9-hole in the first game of the series, and then Sano was batting 8th, and then these last two nights, uh, Arise was batting ninth last night. Yep. At what point would you look to move him up from 8 or 9? Or would you not? Would I you probably just wouldn't. sit there? I probably wouldn't. I probably wouldn't because I, I feel like comfort is a big thing here. I feel like I because, because he, as you said, Phil, reacts so much, I really feel like he's a guy that the more you change things, he then starts to think. I, I really believe that we are talking about a thoughtful person here. And I don't mean that in some touchy, feely, weird sort of he's a whip way, but he is a snowflake. Are you calling him a snowflake? He is. Yeah, I, I know how he's going to vote, too. Um, <laughs> but I really feel that we're talking about a guy who, if things are altered, thinks about why and how. And and, and if you take him and start to bat him, you know, let's say third or first, I think he's going to think the pressure's on now to succeed there. And unfortunately, in his case, I don't think that he has the ability to avoid that thought. 
Like, I don't think he, he can say, Byron, don't be stupid. Just do this and go ahead and be successful. So if I'm Rocco for now, I probably say it's a good thing. Eight or nine is absolutely fine. He's staying there. And I think that they will. I do, too. I don't think they're going to be super quick to move him up. I think they learned their lesson a couple of years ago when he led. He was, was he being third or leadoff in the season opener series? Molitor batted him third third because yeah. I asked him about it post game and Paul really didn't like that question. What did Paul say? He just sort of snapped because I, I was just like, this is he like struck out three times. And, and it's like, dude, yeah, dude, overmatched. What are you doing? He's not. He's not set for this yet. I, but I like the psychology, and it actually brings us into the second football, baseball, is football discussion here. I like the psychology at the time with Buxton. They were wrong on it, and it was too much for him, and he, he just needed to be batting ninth and not feel the pressure. But did you notice what they did with Mitch Garver last night? Mitch Garver came in looking first? like an absolute again? just disaster. It's the worst he's ever looked. Yes, and they stuck by him again against a left-handed starting pitcher. And he winds up with three hits in six at-bats. Like, it would have been really easy to say, all right, like, this dude's a train wreck. I know that our strategy going into the season was for him to hit leadoff against left-handed pitching. But two weeks in, it's just not working. They stuck with it again last night, showing Mitch Garver, hey, dude, I know you're struggling, and this totally sucks for you right now, but we believe that the guy that was here last year and hit 30 home runs, that that guy's in there, and it'll just be a matter of time. And uh, it wasn't three home runs or three doubles. It was it was three singles last night for Mitch Garver. But I love the psychology there. I love I love not punishing a guy and moving him down in the order like they did it with Sano. And I and I think it's it's sort of situational. Yeah, with Sano, they've seen struggles for years. It's the and person. it's just like all right, dude. It's yeah. It's there's been too many things. But and- he's not a. But Miguel is the type of guy who who actually might say, "Whoa, okay." I think if you move Garver down or don't play Mitch, I think he says, oh, so I'm done, huh? Yep. And with Garver, it's literally a 15-game slump. With Miguel Sano, you could argue that in a lot of parts of his game, it's like a five-year slump. Yeah. He still hits for power, but the average has gone away. He strikes out too often. Loves to pull that baseball. Uh, So so they stuck with Mitch Garver, and he goes three for six. The average up to 167. The on-base up to 280. It's a slow climb, but uh, I just... I think in certain situations, to show confidence in a player like that can help them, and it helped Mitch last night. Yeah, he, he's who? He he would be cousins a little bit. Like, I think Kirk, I think if things go wrong with Kirk and you bail on Kirk or get mad, Kirk does not benefit from that. And I sense the same thing with Mitch. Yeah, I don't like know. Some, some guys you basically, I think, can, can scream and yell or demote, and they're like, oh, okay, I get this. Garver and Cousins are the types who I think bristle and say, oh, well, then I guess you, you don't think I can do this anymore. And, and baseball in general just isn't the type of sport where, all right, you're performing poorly, and so I'm going to teach you a lesson and bench yeah. you. Yeah. It's such a mental game, and oftentimes if, you, if a guy is struggling mentally and you double down by punishing him, it can, it can make it worse. In the NFL, a lot of those positions are about like physical exertion or now some of it's injury-related. The quarterback too. Is, is mental. Yep. It's very mental. Yep. You have to be very careful about benching a quarterback because yes. you can make it way worse. Or it could, if it's a young guy, sometimes it could be, all right, listen, we believe in you over the long run, but just take a seat, watch this backup go out there. So I'm 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 glad that they stuck with it. And if he gets going too, if all of a sudden you have Buxton going and Mitch Garver going, then this lineup is back to being what it was last year for the most part. And then eventually you add Josh Donaldson to the mix whenever he decides you hope to he come back from the back. cap injury. You uh, hope he's back. So uh, what else stood out to you breaking a baseball game down like a football game? Okay. 
Bruce Dargratterall might eventually throw um, 400 miles per hour, okay? He might be the best thing since sliced bread. I, I keep seeing clips of him throwing crazy breaking stuff and, and his fastball for the Dodgers, and that's great. But I believe that when the Gretel trade was finally made, and this at the time was a three-man show, I believe that uh, two-thirds of this show said, Kenta Maeda, this is a good trade for what this team needs. You watch this guy pitch again last night, and what you see is exactly, exactly what I think if if you could have realistically drawn up an option to go get uh, during the winter for this team and stick into this rotation, Maeda might be it. He is a smart pitcher. He is He can basically go deep into games. If you think about what he gives you, right? So if you were going to trade a prospect, which, by the way, we knew eventually that, that a prospect had to go. This trade looks right now like a very smart trade given what the Twins were, were desperate uh, to fit into the rotation at that time. And that's before we, we found out that Rich Hill was going to get hurt, Bailey. So this trade, again, to me, as we watch this guy pitch and get an opportunity here not to go from uh, rotation to bullpen to, to rotation again, but to stick in the rotation looks like a very sound, smart, and yes, you gave up a good player in Gratterall. I get that, but a very sound trade. And it's funny, when you say deep into games, like that definition is so different now oh, yeah. than it was before. Six he's, he's, he's a six-inning guy, and, and that is it, that is deep into games That's for this want. twin staff. And, and he almost went seven last night, which I believe would have been the first time Twins pitcher has gone seven full. He came one out away from being the first Twins pitcher to go seven full this season. And the argument at the time when they made the trade was, well, wait a second, Gratterall throws 100 miles an hour, and he's going to be this lights-out ace reliever. And I think the two holes that I tried to poke in that was, okay, well, number one, he's had some injury issues, and the Twins have decided he's not a starting pitcher. So durability is a problem, and this early in his career, a smart pitching organization has deemed him to not be a starting pitcher. Doesn't mean that he can't be a great reliever and stay healthy and all those things, but if his upside is already being capped at reliever that early in his career, and there's injury issues, and you can trade him for a known commodity number three starter, Kentamaeda is not going to sit there and do what Max Scherzer does or what Garrett Cole does, but... Is he is he a guy that you'll plug in and hey you're going on the road and you're playing uh, the Yankees or somebody in a playoff series you're gonna you're gonna feel pretty good about your chances Kenta Maeda going six and giving up two or three runs um, and so on the Bruce Dar Gratterall front if you're worried about losing an ace reliever just go look around at your own bullpen right now the Twins can create these guys out of thin air Tyler Duffy has become one of the best relievers in baseball Taylor Rogers has struggled so far but like. The Twins can create ace relievers. They don't need Bruce Dar Gratterall to have an yeah. ace bullpen. So if you could trade, if you could trade a reliever for a known commodity, quality starter, yep. it was a no brainer from the get go, and he's showing it right now. And you cannot, and as fans, we can't complain. You know, the Twins are cheap. The Twins don't trade prospects. Prospect hoarders, blah blah blah. They trade a prospect, and then the fans go, "What? Yeah, like you can't do that." And this team is at. A point of contention now where you're going to have to make some trades at times that you trade guys you don't want to. But that's how it works. But Maeda gives you a a level of confidence in his starts that right now, unfortunately, 
full disclosure, I don't have in Barrios. Like, this is the level of confidence I sort of want, which is you might not win, but you're going to get a pretty good start, right? And with Barrios, I can't say that now, yeah. which which stinks. Um, but going into that game last night after the bullpen game on Tuesday, I think you confidently said, well, at least this isn't going to look like a train wreck. Yep. And right? and he's been rock solid. He's has basically given you the same four, start four times this year. Can I give you one? Can I give you a, a general observation about 2020 baseball so far? And I'm going to praise it for a second. We have had a plethora, including the uh, Twins opponent last night, a plethora of um, New Jerseys that are fantastic. You like the Brewers? I love the Brewers yeah. look. The Padres look. I do too. The Jays have gone baby blue like the Twins, which I love both those. Baby oh, yeah. blue is never a bad decision. Nope. It's not. If the Royals, Twins, Blue Jays, and any other team wanted the Royal Blues. last year, mm-hmm. they're, uh, I, cool. I, I believe that they were their old Blues on Saturday nights. But baseball has introduced and teams have just a really wide, wide swath of jersey swaps that have been great. Yeah, I like uh, to pr- praise. I don't for that. love the twins. The, the only jerseys I don't love for the twins are the red lettering and the it's the home ones with the red lettering and the gold trim. Oh sure. Uh, I don't. I don't know. Like I, I think they should just wear. I think the baby blues should just be the twins. Main uniforms. I like, I like whether it's white, home or away. I like the white ones with the black and the gold trim around those. Are those the ones you're, you're talking about? Or you're talking about? Uh, there's a na- they have a na- navy blue lettering with. What am I? Th- no, I'm sorry. It's the navy blue lettering with the red trim. Got they it. wear those a lot. Got it. Got it. it just they're, doesn't. They're fit. sort of boring. I need. I don't. I don't need two dark colors. I don't, I don't like those red ones. They look like batting practice jerseys. They look like BP jerseys. The Dairy Queen. Dominant. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, the Dairy Queen look, look. Not a fan. The Twins, by the way, going into they have a day off today. Then going into tomorrow, they have the second best run differential in all of baseball. They are a plus thirty three through nineteen games. Only the Dodgers, who are also twelve and seven, have a higher run differential of plus forty two. And the Twins have the third-best record in the American League, just a half game behind the Yankees and a full game behind the Oakland Athletics. And like I said, if the playoffs started today, your eight playoff teams in the American League would be in order, one through eight. The A's, Yankees, Twins, Rays, Orioles, Tigers, Indians, White Sox. So four teams from the American League Central Mm -hmm. would get in. Who would get Cleveland? Who would get Cleveland? Today, yeah. The Yankees. Interesting. And the Twins would get the Tigers. The White Sox would play the Athletics, and then the four or five game would be the Orioles and Tampa. Hmm. And so, on the outside looking in, would be, be would so be goofy. Houston. Which, but real quick before we get to a scoop of Doogie, actually, we should we'll, we'll do this later because I don't want to encroach on Doogie's time. Joe Kelly did a podcast, and Declan pulled some clips. Kind of follow. He, he did this a couple weeks ago. I want to say during the uh, the first part of the appeal, sure, and just filleted the Astros again on a podcast. Really? So we'll we'll play some clips from that. Nice. But the Astros right now would be on the outside looking in there, eight and ten. Oh no, really? Two positions out of the eight. Oh, seed. that'd be a shame oh, if so the great. Astros Dang were it. to miss the six, the eight team American League playoff tournament. I love it so much. Yes, God, I hate the Astros right now. So that's breaking a Twins game down like it's a football, football. game. We didn't get the full apology from Judd for panicking on Byron Buxton. Apology, the my check should be in the mail or. Um, <laughs> Venmo me, you know, Byron. It's okay to admit you were wrong. Take a page from my book. Admit you were wrong. Go ahead, Judd. It's okay. I, I was, was wrong. wrong.
Get you very far in sports with women in life. It gets you very far. <laughs> Dex, I've been married for 25 years. I don't need to get far with you. I was Opposite wrong sex. It's all wrong. to question Byron Buxton. I was not only not wrong, boys, I provided a motivational platform that allowed this young 26-year-old <laughs> to jump off the diving board into great success. I am Tony Robbins. Oh, my God. Okay. Byron Buxton at the plate looks completely <laughs> lost again. If he's just slumping and I know what he's going to do once he gets past a certain threshold of the bats, I'm fine. What I'm seeing is a guy who looks lost again, and that concerns me. It's completely lost at the plate. And there's a there's a happy medium somewhere here. In other words, Byron, I don't need you to have this great approach where you're going to hit home runs. I just need you to simply make contact and put the ball on the ground. Deep to left center field. What a great at bat for Buxton. He's got another home run. That ball was smoked. All right. Mackie and Judd and our friend Darren Doogie Wolfson from the 5 Eyewitness News Sports Department, KSTP.com. You can find his Scoop podcast as part of the Score North Network, Apple, Spotify, and ScoreNorth.com. Doogie, what's happening with you today? What's up, gentlemen? How you doing? We're doing all right. And uh, we saw the news yesterday. Everson Griffin, who has been, you've you've been reporting on your platforms that the Vikings have been in touch and have made an offer, but he chooses the Dallas Cowboys over the Vikings, over the Packers, over the Seahawks, and other teams. So what can you tell us about Everson Griffin going to Dallas? Well, first off, I think the Packers' interest was overstated. Heck, I think the Vikings' interest in many ways, Phil, has been overstated. And I'm guilty in some regards, but, like, let's go sequentially. Let's go back to March or even before then. Everson makes the easy decision to opt into free agency, to opt out of his contract. If he had elected to stay in that contract, the Vikings were going to release him. The cap number was simply too high. So going back to free agency, the start of free agency in March, Phil, The Vikings didn't engage his camp at all. March, April, May, Hmm. June, into late July, the Vikings all along had said, we're moving on. You know, it just, it was time, right? Like after what, 10 seasons, it was time to move on. But then as Everson is still sitting out there, July 29th, July 30th, there was some dialogue. I don't know who initiated the dialogue. It might've been Everson's camp saying, you know what? Everson really likes it in Minnesota. That's where his family is. That's where his full-time, you know, living arrangement is. Like, let's figure out a way to make this work. So there was some back and forth, Everson's camp and the Vikings. I'm told early on, you know, in terms of these back and forth, the Vikings were willing to do a low ball offer. I don't know if it was for the vet minimum or just slightly above, but it wasn't for much money. I think the Vikings said, you know what, Everson, if you want to come back, we're willing to take you back, but it has to be on our terms. Then the back and forth continued into early August. You know, the Vikings welcomed back players for the COVID testing over at TCO Performance Center. The Vikings, at some point, I'm told, upped their offer. Now, one source late last night told me, Phil, the Vikings' offer was competitive. But to me, that's subjective. Like, to me, Phil, if the Vikings really wanted Everson back, if Mike Zimmer really wanted Everson back, they would have done the deal that Dallas did. $3 million base salary, $3 million in roster bonuses. So to me, I think if the Vikings absolutely wanted Everson back, he would be a Viking today. Credit to George Edwards, who's now on that Cowboys staff. He's the one that put it over the top. And I'm also told Alice's offer trumped all other offers. So it was an easy decision for Everson. And I also just don't think at this point that the Vikings are shedding tears. 
I just think, Phil, going back many, many months, they foresaw this happening, that they knew many months ago they were going to lose Everson. Let's not forget also, Phil, Everson back in late March on Instagram put out a post pretty much declaring that he was leaving Minnesota. So, you know, Vikings fans might be upset because they heard about an offer being made. They're upset that the Vikings didn't seal the deal. But I'm just telling you, I don't sense over at TCO Performance Center, they're shedding a lot of tears about this. So, Dukes, I like the working theory that the Vikings seem to have with guys like Griffin and Rhodes, which is get out. And in Rhodes' case, it was a year too late, unfortunate. In Griffin's case, it's probably a year too soon. But in football, that's smart. But what the Griffin deal last night in the terms, the path that they lead me down, if I'm the Vikings, is not Griffin himself. It's the bargain basement shopping that you can do right now in the National Football League. Um, and if you're the Vikings now, you know, Clowney, who I know is not going to take nothing, but he's not going to get a multi-year deal now, right? Uh, there, there are some corners still out there. Veteran guys, not bad, could help. Again, they're going to get one year, make good, prove yourself deals. That being said, do you think that the Vikings are looking at this now, and I think that probably a lot of competitive teams are, and saying if Dallas can get Griffin on what to me looks like a pretty dirt cheap deal, we got to dip back into the market right now and at least explore our options because we might not have a ton of cap room, but we have enough cap room to certainly add a really viable player for 2020. And then if he has a good year, awesome. He walks and gets, you know, a contract elsewhere, which is probably at that point could be, let's say, you know, a three-year deal somewhere. And if you're the Vikings, Judd, you could end up with some sort of compensatory pick, right? Just do a one-year deal. Mm-hmm. They have nearly $13 million in cap space. So you're right. They have flexibility to do something. I have no doubt, Judd, that internally, Rob Rosinski, George Payton, Rick Spielman, I have zero doubt that internally they kick around a lot of these names, whether it's a Drake Kirkpatrick. You know, or a Logan Ryan, who now has declared he's a safety, not a cornerback, or a Jadavian Clowney, or any number of guys, maybe Josh Klein, a reunion with Josh Klein along the offensive line. I have no doubt that they have these conversations. Do I sense that anything is imminent, anything is on the cusp? I don't. I think it changes next week, Judge. My understanding is the pads go on on Monday. It might be Tuesday, but I was told Monday for when the pads go on. I think once the pads go on, they can get a little bit more intel on where exactly guys are at this point. And if they do need to make a move for a veteran closer to that September 13th opener against Green Bay, they will do so. So I would not dismiss the possibility of them adding some sort of veteran. I think cornerback does make sense. I've been championing that cause going back months that I thought, in fact, by now the Vikings would have added a veteran defensive back. They have not. That would not dismiss that possibility. I'm clowny. I just don't sense there's there's anything there where, where the Vikings have have the money to get it done. The Clowney is still holding out, whether it's the Browns, the Seahawks, a few other teams. The Browns certainly have the cap space. So I wonder if his agent, Plus Cook, is is calling the Browns and saying, okay, just up the offer. That, that you have all this cap space, just up the offer on a one-year deal, and we'll reset his market come March of 2021. So I still wonder if the Browns make a lot of sense for Clowney. But I think the game has come up internally, John. I just don't sense that there's a lot of external dialogue. Uh, what about Dalvin Cook? What's the, what's the latest there? Assuming conversations are still happening? Yeah, and he'll meet with us tomorrow, Phil. I'll be curious to see. Now, 
he's going to be schooled on, on picking his words very carefully, trust me. <laughs> but he's talking to us tomorrow morning at approximately 1130, the first time he'll have talked to us since really, I think, right after the San Francisco loss in January. I can't recall doing any media with Dalvin Cook, at least anything on the record, going back many, many months. And this will be our first chance to pick his brain on his contract situation. I just still think, going back to Rick Spielman comments at the Combine, this regime, the way they take care of their own, their homegrown guys, that I still think a deal eventually gets done. Now, worst case scenario, they have the franchise tag. Like, you're not going to put the franchise tag on Anthony Harris again come March. There are no other logical candidates for that franchise tag, Phil. So to me, if it comes down to it, the Vikings slap the franchise tag on Dalvin next March. But I still think, I don't know when, I don't know if it's tonight, tomorrow, next week, right before the September 13th opener. But I still think the sides come to a happy medium. But my latest intel, now it's 48 hours old. I don't have anything in the last What good are you? My latest intel is, yeah, I know. My latest intel is there hasn't been a whole lot of movement. All it takes is one new offer, one new conversation. So I still think because the Vikings have a history of taking care of their own guys, that something does eventually get done. So, Duke, the uh, Big Ten this week came out a couple days ago and canceled all fall sports for now, possibly backing them up to spring, although I'm dubious, including football. What does this mean to the Gophers program as far as as not just football goes, but all sports? I mean, this is going to be a tremendous, tremendous hit. And I'm just curious what the feeling of concern at the school is about the viability of keeping all of their um, minor sports when football probably pays for a lot of that freight. Judd, I don't know how you keep all of those sports, 20-something sports, a lot of those sports, non-revenue sports. Mark Coyle at a uh, Regents meeting back in what May estimated the the revenue loss at approximately $75 million. I talked to to our mutual friend Pete Najarian the other day. He's got some inside knowledge on this. He actually thinks the number is higher. He doesn't have the exact number, but he thinks it's higher. Than $75 million. So, Judd, I just don't know. I don't know which sports you would pick to, to eliminate first. But and we've talked about this before. I just don't know how logically you keep all these sports. What is it, 23, 24 sports? I might even be low on that. Is it 25 sports? It's somewhere it's about that, right, yeah. 22. I just don't know, Judd, how, how you would maintain all these sports. On your, on your dubious feeling about spring football, I will say, I don't know if you guys have seen the plan that the Purdue coach, Jeff Rahm, put out there he i did took I, it out yeah. to a bunch of media february i i thought it was pretty good you know now we don't know you know in terms of of you know where this country will be with with coronavirus in january but the plan he laid out with training camp beginning in early january i don't have all the specifics right in front of me maybe you can find it but but it's out there jeff brown the, the purdue coach has has laid it all out and, and he got some feedback from jim harbaugh and some other big 10 coaches it makes some sense. It does. But, yeah, I mean, if, if you're an NFL prospect, like at this point, why the heck would you play spring football? You wouldn't, right? Like Rashad Bateman, others, Parsons, the good linebacker from Penn State, Moore, the good wide receiver from Purdue, like these guys have opted out. Even if you're a fringe draft prospect, if you're like a Saturday draft prospect, fourth, seventh-round guy, why the heck would you put your body on the line come spring? I just don't see how – uh, that's going to be feasible. But yeah, at this point, they would like to play football in the spring because there's too much money at stake. Yeah. They can still, you know, recoup some of that 
some of that, you know, uh, national TV money. So if they can play football in the spring, then again in the fall, push back the fall start into like October. I think that that's what they would like to do. So uh, we, we kicked this round yesterday. I, I feel like it it is unfortunate that we are missing out on what could have been the peak gopher football season depending on if they could have upped what they did last year. And I think, I mean, obviously you would have had to have beat Wisconsin and Iowa early in your schedule, but I just think this was headed toward with Tanner Morgan and Rashad Bateman and everything that PJ Fleck has been building a potentially special season for Gophers football. Well, we're never going to see Rashad Bateman in a Gopher uniform again. We might not see Tanner Morgan in a Gopher uniform again. I know he's saying that, you know, he's going to come back for spring or whatever, but my question to you is how sustainable is what they did in 2019? How the recruiting classes look like they're they're on the rise. He had a for 2020, twenty four seven football ranked them like thirty seventh. It looks like they're aiming for maybe a top twenty five recruiting class and a record number of four star recruits for Gopher football for the twenty twenty one class. Was two thousand nineteen the peak? And now it's just you know back to being sort of the eight win Gophers. Or do you think that they have reached a new plateau with what PJ Fleck is building? I think somewhere in the middle, Phil, I'm not ready to say that 2019 was the absolute peak. I do think at some point here in the foreseeable future, they can win the Big Ten West, thus then play in the Big Ten championship game with with a chance to to get to Pasadena. I will say this much. Fleck and others on the Gopher staff have been telling people for months behind the scenes that just wait for the 2021 recruiting class, that, that you might like the 2019 recruiting class, or the 2020 recruiting class, but that the 2021 recruiting class will be their best yet. They recruit at such a high level. Now they have more resources than any other staff in the past, but these guys are so relentless on the recruiting trail. If you're a Gopher fan, I would have faith that they can get back to that level of last year and ultimately exceed that level. And on Tanner Morgan, by the way, I was going back and forth with his dad and and some other people. I would be shocked if he's taken his last snap as a Gopher. I think he takes another snap for the Gophers. But, Phil, you're right. I mean, like, no coronavirus. Think about having Bateman. Heck, I think they would have had a decent chance to land this graduate transfer linebacker from Arizona, Tony Fields. He's an NFL player. He's now on his way to West Virginia. He announced his intentions earlier this week. Now, he's got a great connection. A coach at West Virginia, the the defensive coordinator, recruited him to Arizona. So he might have picked West Virginia, you know, all things equal. But, like, it was an easy decision, right? Once everything was was pushing over the weekend toward the Big Ten canceling football in the fall, why the heck would this graduate transfer pick the Gophers? So it was easy for him to eliminate the Gophers, pick West Virginia. But if everything was normal, you'd have Bateman back. You might have Tony Fields as a really good three-down linebacker, an NFL player. Like, they absolutely could have won the Big Ten West this fall. And I get it. There, there are Badgers fans watching this right now saying, dudes, you're a fool. Look at all the guys the Badgers have back. The Badgers would have been the favorite in the Big Ten West. Hey, Iowa, those some guys. Scott Frost thinks he's got a better roster in Lincoln. But I'm just telling you, if the Gophers, all things equal, all things considered, had just everyone back, and this would have been a normal fall, so I would have made the Gophers the favorites in the Big Ten West. Yeah. Twin scoops, Doogie? Well, Judd, you nailed it. It was, it was early on when Josh Donaldson hurt his calf, and you're like, this is going to be a while. And a few people said, ah, no, it's just going to be a couple of days. And you're like, no, there's a history with, with calf injury. Now, I am told internally with the eight teams making the playoffs and really home field advantage meaning nothing, the only thing it really means is you get that last at bat. 
you know, because there's no momentum at this point that Major League Baseball is going to approve fans being in ballparks. So, like, internally, the Twins feel like it's going to be really hard to not be one of the eight playoff teams that they can go conservative on a lot of these injuries, not just his, but Rich Hill, you know, going back to Jake Odorizzi, you know, then pushing Odorizzi back about a week, you know, Homer Bailey, that they can be conservative. But, yeah, you just you start to wonder about 34-year-old Josh Donaldson if that calf is ever going to be 100% the rest of the way. Otherwise, you know, they're just they're rolling along. I mean, I think they have, as it filled, the second-best run differential in the American League, or maybe mm-hmm. the best second. Well, it's, it's second-best in all of baseball, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so when the bats are rolling, they're really rolling. Quinta Maeda looks like a phenomenal addition. So, to me, I still feel like, even with, you know, the recent, what, five losses over six games, you know, in the – in the in the struggles in Kansas City last week, and I still feel like let's fast forward to the end of September. I'm ready for the playoffs. Uh, when's KG going to buy the Timberwolves? <laughs> <laughs> well, so there is a group I'm told that has exclusive negotiating rights right now, and I'm led to believe. I think we talked about this last week. And I was told that the, that the exclusive negotiating window ended at some point here in August. I'm actually led to believe that date is August 15th. So it is fast approaching. Now, I don't know how far along the talks are with this group. I'm not even 100% that the group is the Daniel E. Strauss group, although I think it's the Daniel E. Strauss group. So it's not the KG group. Jimmy Jam is involved in some form or fashion. I can't add that. Jimmy Jam is definitely involved in some form or fashion with KG, but it wouldn't just be Jimmy Jam. Jimmy Jam's got money, but he doesn't have NBA ownership type money. There would have to be many other individuals involved. But yeah, KG... He would still love to be involved in in one way or another. But whether it's the KG group, and I would not bet on the KG group, the Wilfs, you know, re-engaging at some point. I still wouldn't sleep on the Wilfs in this equation. Maybe the Daniel E. Strauss group should be the betting favorite at this particular point, but it's fluid. They still feel, I'll continue to say what I've told you guys for weeks, it's when, not if. At, at this time, there is more a real feeling than ever before that Glenn Taylor eventually is going to sell the Wolves and the Lynx. And tr- trying to get people back into that arena post-pandemic, Dukes, is going to, to be tough. I, I mean, it's not the ideal time to sell, but I get what Glenn is doing here because if you size things up, and the Vikings, I think, are going to, to be fine because they are the Vikings, right? But besides that, post-pandemic, in a market like this, when you know the Wild is trying to sell tickets and suites, right? The Twins are, and the Twins are, are good, so that does help. The Gophers are... If you're the Wolves, this is the this is the time to get out because I think the competition and trying to get people reengaged with a team that might be emerging but certainly is not there yet is going to be marketing hell. Well, how about this angle, Judd? I've heard from people that are reluctant to go to downtown Minneapolis. Yeah, that's a whole that other. They're just yeah. flat out scared to go to downtown Minneapolis. I didn't think I can of that. Tell but, yeah. you, yeah, the Wolves have have. And it's not just internal. The Wolves have had discussions with with city leaders in Minneapolis about some of their season ticket holders bringing those concerns to them. So that is a real legitimate talker that that some people just don't want anything to do. Now the Twins, you know, would would have some of those same issues, but yeah, I think you know there are some some people that just don't want anything to do with heading to downtown Minneapolis, parking in Ramp A or Ramp B having to, before the game and after the game, walk through the Skyway, into the parking ramp, back to their car. They're just, there's there's a fear factor. Plus, it's so convenient just to sit on the couch, flip on the TV, 
watch the game on the two. But you're right. I mean, I still think the future is relatively bright, that, that I like the move for Russell, that I think they end up bringing back Beasley. Devin Booker is a pipe dream. The lottery is next week. Heck, maybe they win the lottery. They have, you know, they're tied for the best chance to, to win the number one pick. You know, that could be a really good trade asset. They have this Brooklyn pick that looks like it'll be picked 16 or 17, but that can be used as a trade asset like the Rockets. Gerson's former organization is looking for a first-round pick. So what could the Rockets give the Wolves for that Brooklyn pick? The Wolves will have a pick early second round where you should be able to get a really good prospect at pick 33. So, you know, you've got you've got some assets, right? And you still have this transformational big man. Oh, I think we I think we lost Dukes. Might have lost him there. I think we uh the the connection froze. The Gremlins have eaten Doogie's connection. That was a pretty good run, though. But that was a 20-minute scoop session. I was going to say, that was a very successful run with some good information. Shoot him a note that says, thanks for the scoops. We lost a connection, and uh, we'll do a rapid-fire scoop session with him next week. We didn't get to that, but that was, wow. That was 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 loaded with stuff. And I think, just to circle back on a couple things there real quick, um, as a diehard Gophers apologist, the fact that he thinks Tanner Morgan, talking to Tanner Morgan's family, um, that that Tanner Morgan is going to come back and play at least one season is is good. I think if you were to have lost both Rashad Bateman and Tanner Morgan from the program without sure. either one of them having played a game after 2019's magical season, yep, it would just be. I mean, it wouldn't be like a top five gopher blow because there's been a lot over the years, but it would be tough. It would be tough to swallow. Sure, and it just to me it just depends now on. Some of these players that P.J. Fleck is recruiting in 2020-21, A, how long can he stay here as coach before somebody else swoops him up? It is a real thing. It's a real discussion. And B, how good are some of these young players going to be so that 2019 isn't just a flash-in-the-pan great season? I do think that there is no doubt in my mind the program is on the absolute right track. Yeah. And that's the most important thing. Because you know what? There have been times where we've been like, okay, that was fun, but, right? Because there's always in in... Go for football, it seems like there is always the butt. Um, in this case, though, the biggest thing for me that stinks about uh, the el- elimination of the 2020 season in the fall and possibly the spring, but the biggest thing that stinks is is being robbed of the chance to watch Bateman play mm-hmm. because that would have been unbelievable fun. Well, Judd, you will get to see him play. I want to mock! Mock! How excited were you to see this? Todd McShay. McShay, Dex, if you could hit us with a little proper music here. Of course. We've got a Todd McShay, way too early 2021 NFL draft. You know what? It's not too early anymore. It's never too early. College football season is on the break. These players, we got to judge them now. This is great. So this is 1 through 32, and uh, a couple interesting nuggets here. We'll get to the Vikings pick, but Todd McShay, who, by the way, has admitted he begrudgingly does these way too early ones. They force him to do one the day after the draft, too. He hates it, but we love it. Of course. So his first sentence is, yes, it's, it's early in the 2021 NFL draft process. Focus has been elsewhere on sports. Uh, but there's a lot of high-impact potential. Let's fly through it here. Number one overall to the Jacksonville Jaguars, Trevor Lawrence, quarterback Clemson. Damn. Anyone surprised by that? One to get him. No Tanner Morgan. Hmm. The Washington football team at number two takes Patrick Sertain the second. What makes you the second versus junior? Uh, okay, I'm going to guess here. Is it grandfather? Yeah, I think, yeah. I, I, I think grandpa is Patrick Sertain. 
I think but, son is Patrick Sertain Jr. And well, then how old are is you? Patrick now, Sertain? You, you'd be the third then, All right? right? From, from Google, which never lies, uh, a junior means the child is named after a parent, while the second indicates the exact same name was used previously by someone in the family, oh. such as a grandparent or cousin. Yeah, okay. but, but Patrick Sertain is only 44 years old. Yep. And his son is presumably 21. Yeah. There's like mathematically... Patrick Sertain so cannot be the be grandfather. Ju- so why wouldn't he be junior is what you're saying? Yeah. I don't know. Okay, I, sure. I don't know. But, but he's going number <laughs> Keep going. second. Quit interrupting McShay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip through some of these. Justin Fields, number four to Carolina, which means they have no faith in Teddy Bridgewater. But Carolina's not going to be that bad. I agree because They're Teddy Bridgewater be is a competent quarterback. They've done some good things there. Yep. I'm going to keep skipping here till we get to number seven. You'll get to watch Rashad Bateman twice in 2021 because he's going to the Detroit Lions at oh, number wow. seven. Oh, overall. no. Poor guy. Another early 2020 college season opt out. Another top 10 pick. Bateman won't wow you with his wheels, but he produced to the tune of 60 catches for 1,200 yards, 11 touchdowns because of his precise route running, soft hands, and physicality. He has some versatility in where he lines up. He'll work in the middle of the field, eat up pass coverage. Oh, and essentially the entire Lions wide receiver room could be off to free agency in 2021, including Kelly, uh, Kenny Galladay, Marvin Jones Jr., Danny Amendola, and Marvin Hall, meaning why would they area leave? of need might Wait. be an understatement why, come April. Why would they leave? I mean, that, that franchise is so well run. Organizationally, really they're great. They've got a great coach. Why would those guys want to leave? So that's at seven? That's number seven. Wow. Yep. Okay, that's uh, solid. And there's a bunch of wide receivers here. In fact, I believe uh, Jamar Chase was the fifth overall pick. So re- that would mean Rashad Bateman is the second wide receiver off the board in the 2021 draft. Who took Chase at five? The Miami Dolphins. Okay. To get a, a weapon for Tua okay. in the second season. We have another quarterback off the board here at number 14 to the Chicago Bears taking another stab. North Dakota State quarterback Trey Lance. Wow. Didn't Doogie rave about him a while back? Yeah, he's been I mentioned. So. He's been mentioned. Uh, continue to scroll here. A ton of wide receivers in the teens, like literally six wide receivers in the teens, including right. the Packers taking Nico Collins from Michigan at number 18. The <laughs> Minnesota Vikings at number 21, according to Todd McShay. So he's got the Vikings as a, as a fringe playoff team here taking yeah. safety from Oregon, Javon Holland. Hmm. I want to mock. Hmm. I want to mock. Here's the write-up. Defensive tackle is a bigger need, though 2020 opt-out Michael Pierce will be back next season. So Shelvin or uh, USC's Jay uh, Tufeli, 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 going to be playing here soon, uh, could be a choice for Minnesota. But Javon Holland, who I mentioned as a reach earlier in this mock, now becomes a great value at number 21 overall, and he fills a hole with Anthony Harris on an expiring contract and Harrison Smith turning 32 in February. Holland, the top safety on the board, has nine picks over the past two seasons, displays strong open field tackling ability, and shows some pop in the punt return game. He high point. Wow, this is a... He high points the ball well. That's important. Don't, don't underestimate the ability to high point the football, dude. And attacks it, a skill set that would help keep the Vikings among the elites in interceptions. So, oh, yeah, I don't know. That does I mean, nothing for me right there. I don't know there. about that drafting does nothing a safety for me 21. Right How about an offensive lineman again? Yeah, Harrison Smith is still going to be here, right? You don't need... Here's the thing. Develop your corners. You don't need two great safeties. You don't need a first-round pick. I, I, feel, I feel like... In the, the Judd chart of draft picks, safety is not a first-round pick unless, again, it's an off-the-charts player. 
I feel like that's a position that I can go get guys at. And look, if it's Harrison Smith too, let's talk about it. But if you're just saying, well, Harrison's going to leave us and we still got Smith, but uh, that doesn't do much for me, McShay. Yeah, I mean, offensive line would be where I always start. I would, I, If I was Rick Spielman, I would start every draft room conversation with, we are drafting an offensive lineman in the first round. Talk me off talk of me it. Out, talk me out of if it. If you can talk me off of it, yeah. okay. You know what? If you had started the conversation like that a few years back, you wouldn't be where you are right now on the offensive line. That's though. correct. He's got... I want you He's got the right player going first overall. He's just got the wrong team taking him. Because <laughs> that first round, that first pick is going only one place. Boston, Massachusetts area. Oh, wow. Well, Trevor Lawrence? Yeah, they're... They, you think they're going to go like 2 and 14? asking players to opt out. We're, like, <laughs> we're lucky they don't forfeit. I don't know that they're going to go 2 and 14. Yeah. No, sure, no. They'll probably I mean, you go, have to be so They'll bad. probably go 3 and 13. If, if they went 2 and 14... It would be so obvious that they're tanking. Like Bill Belichick is is such He's a great begging coach. Begging players to opt out. Yeah. He's like calling them and being like, hey, "Just uh, don't play this year." And in case you're wondering, Tanner Morgan was not listed as a first round pick in Todd McShay's 2021 mock draft. But Mitch Leidner was. I was just gonna say at one <laughs> point he had, was... he had Mitch Leidner like four years ago as a projected number one pick. Going love me some the, McShay. The but... day after the draft, Leidner was going to the Cowboys at like 22 or something like that. All right, before we wrap the show, do you guys want to hear from Joe Kelly, who threw 90-mile-an-hour darts at Astros heads and a couple breaking balls in there, too? This is Joe Kelly on, uh, it was actually like a Dodgers.com podcast. For Major League Baseball to come at me with an eight-game suspension saying that through these times in the pandemic, you created what we were trying to stay away from, where you enticed a whole team, apparently my words again, or my face, my cute face that I made, Enticed the whole team to come out of their dugout towards our dugout, which is complete bullshit because I socially distanced. I walked away. I didn't get close. I followed all the guidelines of the CDC and people on the other side didn't. They walked out of their dugout, walked towards us. I mean, Carlos Correa f- spit at our team. I don't know if it was me. He spit out of his mouth. But this guy walks over to our dugout and then spits while I follow all the rules. And then I get eight games. <laughs> this guy's great. Yes. Here's more. They're not respectable men to me. What Correa said to Belly, Belly had all the facts. You don't tell my teammate to shut the up and then spit at us during a pandemic. That ain't right. That ain't right. He's not looking out for the health of anybody doing that. He's going to get his own teammates sick doing that if he had the if he had the corona. Like, he'd get us sick. Like, that. that's just not right. So, like, I will always not respect them in that way until something's said on, 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 the, on the guidelines of what I said. He's a thousand percent right. He's a thousand percent right. And this is why, this is why if the Astros, I don't care how much they're verbally abused or have pitches thrown at them. If they so much as step foot out of the dugout, I suspend them all. Yeah, they I tell them you can't you here here's the thing. You have to take everything that you get. Manfred should Manfred should have the guts to say, I couldn't suspend you. I look terrible. If you so much as say boo at an opposing team that is doing, I don't care what they're doing to you, you're all suspended. Yep. And and look, Dusty Baker is a nice, fragile old man now, right? And I actually feel bad for Dusty in some ways. But Dusty took this job knowing what the price of poker was. And so for him to say, well, we have to defend it. No, you don't. No, no, Dusty, you should be told. If you defend yourselves, Starting with you, it's thirty games. Why are they so shocked that players are trying to get revenge? Like what? How from the commissioner to the Astros front office and ownership down to Dusty Baker has it not been made perfectly clear? 
all right, because we couldn't punish the players because we granted them immunity inexplicably to rat on AJ Hinch and the front office. Right. Uh, listen, like guys are going to be pissed, and you're probably going to get thrown at, and you're going to get chirped at. And and you know, when we thought there was going to be fans in the stadium, fans were going to say and maybe throw things at you. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like we'll protect you to some extent. We don't want you to get killed, but you're just going to have to deal with some stuff in 2020. Right. And it's like the Astros are just like appalled and shocked that what your hitting what? coach is trash talking players. Yeah. yeah. Sit down. Like, how does that happen? Sit down. 20 games. I would have told that joker. You are suspended indefinitely. And it is hilarious to see the Astros off to such a bad start. They are 8-10 and 10 on the season. They are the 10 seed in the American League right now at the third of the way mark through the season. Altuve's been awful, right? Which is just fantastic to see. I love this. Let me pull their stats up here. I think Altuve's hitting like a buck seventy nine or something Good. ridiculous. I hope he is. Honestly, I just... No, I know. I'm, I agree with you completely. And Joe Kelly's right. Joe Kelly is... Joe Kelly, to me, is the voice of reason here. I, I like it. Jose Altuve is hitting 187 with a 265 on base percentage this season. Alex Bregman's actually been really good. He's only hitting 250, but he's slugging 500. He has four home runs, six doubles, and 13 ribs. So Carlos Correa is off to a good start. Uh, George Springer's been pretty terrible so far, but (laughs) but Jose Altuve off to a bad start. And I I think what's just so frustrating, I told Rami this and everyone this too when it was Sturr's first break at the beginning of the year, is like the Astros. We're in, in my opinion, pre pre all all the cheating stuff coming out. Where the organization of how you build, how you make trades, they they stunk for four years and they hit their draft picks. Mm-hmm. They made savvy trades for Verlander and Garrett Cole and J- and Josh Reddick. Like they literally put the blueprint of how I thought. If like you're the Twins and Houston can be a big market in general, the city's a humongous market. But the Astros have had high payrolls and they've had low payrolls, but they've attacked when their window was open. So then for them to just basically erase all that good work with the cheating scandal, and like that's what's so hard for me to come to grips with because I did love that organization. And it, 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 I'm guessing that all the stuff that you talk about, like all of that stuff is still a model for the Twins. But when you do all those things right and then you add cheating on top of it, that's how you, that's how you get to that 110 win level that they got to and how you win a but World Series. But then at least, at least um, act like you're st- sorry. I, I mean, their, their whole thing from day one of spring training w- was to give press conferences that meant absolutely nothing. Yeah, they they were garbage. They aren't they're, sorry. Not, they're not. They, they feel that what they did was justified. And that's why baseball should have come to them and said, you are not to take any actions at all to defend yourself, okay? We might suspend guys. If Joe Kelly throws at at you, we'll give him five, eight games. That's fine. But you are not to do anything. And I especially don't want your bleeping hitting coach talking. And and I would have told Dusty, I would have, when Dusty took... That job. If I had been, um, if I had been in charge of baseball, so not the Astros, I would have told him, "You can take this job, Dusty, and that's fine, and you might win. I don't know, but you are not to defend your team. Like you are, you are not here to be um, um, the father of this team now and to defend them. I don't want to hear boo from. I don't want to hear anything from you. You guys are an embarrassment, a, a joke." And Manfred doesn't seem to get the fact that that by not penalizing players, it made it worse. That's the thing, too, is the ideal would have been to take, you know, let's say two or three players, right, and suspend them for some length, not not to make some statement, but to actually probably dial down the angst. 
Yes. You know, they don't like think Jose they, Altuve, I'm giving you tw- 20 games. I'm I'm saving you. Manfred doesn't think that far ahead. He does not. Manfred doesn't think about ramifications and public perception, let alone innovative ideas to fix a sport. No, that's true. So uh, good on Joe Kelly. Good on Joe that's Kelly. That's a great. I love that stuff. It is hilarious. So that's a wrap on today's episode of Mackie and Judd. We appreciate you hanging out with us. And uh, you can also check out our daily Vikings conversations in depth on the Purple Daily podcast feed, Apple, Spotify, and scorenorth.com, where you can also find us on YouTube, too, youtube.com slash scorenorth. And we will leave you with Judd's gem. Byron Buxton at the plate looks completely lost again. If he's just slumping and I know what he's going to do once he gets past a certain threshold of at bats, I'm fine. What I'm seeing is a guy who looks lost again, and that concerns me. To left center field. What a great at bat for Buxton. He's got another home run. That ball was smoked.